this morning, I'm glad to um, be with you, and I'm glad, um, well, not glad, but I'm happy as we finish up um, this first message series of the new year. And um, if you were with us, if you weren't, uh, over the past three weeks, we've been talking about uh, a real solution, and it's about the beginning of this year. Um, I don't know if you guys remember, but I was saying, it's strange, isn't it? At the beginning of the new year, there seems to be this, this air of possibility. People feel like there's almost, there's something in, in the air where I could be a different person. I could do something different in this year. And very often what people do is they make these things called resolutions. Um, and it, it's very, very common. I think when we did the, the landscape across this, our group isn't as much on the resolutions as, uh, thing, or maybe you guys are just afraid to say that you had a resolution for fear that you might not complete it. But um, the top 10 New Year's resolutions of this last year, I shared with you at the beginning, but I want to share with you again. Of 2011, the top 10 are these. Number one, more time with friends and family. Number two, to make time for fitness. Number three, to lose weight. Number four, to quit smoking. Five, to enjoy life more. Six, to quit drinking. Seven, to get out of debt. Eight, to learn something new. Nine, to help others. And 10, to get organized. I was asking before, I don't know if people have resolutions that look a lot like this, um, but how are you guys doing? If you made a resolution at the beginning of the year, are you still holding to it? Because statistically speaking, about a third of people have already broke their New Year's resolution before even the end of January, the beginning of February. It's kind of dismal. The problem, if you remember when we were talking about, is that the beginning of this new year, it doesn't change stuff. People feel that somehow that, that closing the book on one year and opening the book on another will make them a different person. But remember what you're saying, it doesn't. It really doesn't. I shared this with you. The beginning of a new year won't make you a new person. It won't change your bad habits. It won't take away the temptations in your life. And it won't take away your problems. Simply going from December 31st to January 1st isn't going to change those things. And people try over again and think that this will be the time and what happens is, is in January and February, you find, pe you find people who are tremendously let down because once again, they were unable to change what they were hoping to change in their life. If you remember right, I, I kind of redefined two words for you. And I, I like to do that so we're on the same page when I use these words. But a resolution is basically trying to work hard enough, plan smart enough, to figure out a way in which you can become better. In other words, it's, it's, it's all about you. But see, a real solution, a real solution puts God at the center of the scenario. And instead of thinking that it's all about me, it's about including God in these circumstances and understanding the fact that I can't figure them out on my own, but with God's help, I can. This morning, the topic I'm going to cover isn't specifically one of these 10 that you find on the, the 10 most resolved things, but really, it's kind of the overarching theme of, of all of them. Um, at the beginning of the year, this is really what drives people to make these resolutions. Let me ask you a question to start, okay? You don't have to answer it out loud, but think in your mind for a second, okay? A year from the beginning of this year, when the ball drops in Times Square and it turns to 2012, where are you going to be? Not just physically where are you going to be, but where are you going to be in life? How are you going to be different? 
What's going to be changed about your circumstances? What's going to maybe be different in your relationships? Or, or, or What's going to be different? In other words, what is your direction for 2011? By the time 2012 rolls around, what's going to be different? What I'm talking about is the future. And when you start talking about the future, really, really commonly, people get kind of scared. Because most people, they don't know. They have no clue. I'm hoping to still be here. I know the future's coming, but I don't really know what to say about it. But this idea of, of where we're going and your direction and your future is what causes all this the idea of the, of the resolution. It's wanting something different, isn't it? There's many people that maybe at the beginning of this year, if I asked you this question, you'd have a resolution mindset. And what I mean is that it's all about me mindset. Is that you said, well, a year from the beginning of this year, I guess I'd like to be with my family. And um, I guess I'd like to maybe be making more money, um, maybe have the mortgage paid down a little farther, uh, maybe a different car, better paying job, um, you know, more time off. I don't know. But the reality is, is even working harder to accomplish these things, people still often feel lost without direction. I was talking a while back, um, it's been a few years ago, it was when I got out of high school, and I decided that I was going to go work at, um, at our family business. And uh, one of the guys who was working there was an older gentleman, he worked for us for a while, it was probably um, mid-50s, early 60s, and, and he had been working for a long time in the, in the mechanics field. And he said to me, Cameron, um, do you want to work here the rest of your life? I said, man, I, said, I, don't, I don't know. You know, I was, I was 18 years old. I said, maybe. I said, I'm not really sure what I want to be, you know, when I, when I grow up. That kind of that old statement, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. And he said, you know what? I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> this man was late 50s. But still, he didn't really know what he wanted to be. There, was, there wasn't very much direction in his life. What he was doing was he was, he was making his way through life. He was paying his bills and he was succeeding in the fact that he was providing. He provided for a family and such, but there was no real direction, was there? It was just kind of to, to be there. He said, I don't really know what I want to do. The, the broad majority of people at the beginning of this year really have no clue. They have no clue in which, which way their lives are going to go this next year. They have no plan. They have no direction. They don't have an idea of what the future could hold for them. Even if you said to some people, well, it's really simple. What do you want to do? Wouldn't it be simple to create your direction? Well, all I have to ask you is, well, what do you want to do? But even if I ask that, I'm sure there's probably most people who'd say, I don't know what I want to do. I don't know. What interests you? I don't know. What do you like? I don't know. There's this lack of direction. What we've been talking about for the last few weeks um, was this verse, and it's, it's Romans 8, 4, and it's kind of been like the cornerstone of what we've been, what we've been reading. And I want to read it to you out of the message. It's very short. It says, And now what the law code asked for but we couldn't deliver is accomplished as we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. It talks about, like, basically gaining that, that grace that comes with, comes with the, the Spirit and coming with uh, living a Christian life, but more so, I think this can also just apply to us with this whole real solution thing. It's not about us redoubling our own efforts, <laughs> gritting our teeth, trying harder, but instead it's about, it's about trusting God to change these circumstances. I want to offer to you to drop the resolution this year 
and instead take the real solution for your direction in this next year. Instead of just trying to work harder to create a better future for yourself, I want to invite you to invite God into your direction for this next year, into your future, and see what happens. The interesting thing is when we look at the Bible, God really does have plans for our life, believe it or not. It's crazy, but he says awesome things like this one. I love this verse, Jeremiah 29, 11. A lot of people might know this if you've been in church for a long time, but I think it's a great verse reminding us about how God has plans. It says this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, the Lord plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. It says God has plans for us. These are for his chosen people, but really when we, when we begin a life with Jesus, we're his chosen people too. And he says, I have plans for you. And they're not plans of destruction. They're plans of greatness. And you know what I love about this? If you notice the two words that are used in this, it says, to give you a hope and a future. I think that's awesome. The things we're talking about, most people, they don't have hope. They don't have direction, and they don't have, they don't have hope that it's going to get better. And most of them, they don't even want to know what's in the future because it's scary. And God says he has a great hope and future for you. But if you're like me, you might say, okay, very cool that God has plans for my life. I know you can say that. But then where in the world would I find those plans? If God has plans for my life, how do I figure them out? How would I determine what it is that God wants me to do, that God has for me? Well, many people might think, well, the answer must be to delve into a time of maybe prayer and, and, and fasting and Maybe we need to take and we need to climb the Himalayas to get closer to God, right? Get somewhere close out of the atmosphere and, and, and go on, you know, uh, this, this insane, don't talk to somebody for a year and just silence yourself so you can hear the, the word of God. And somewhere up on a mountaintop, almost like Moses, you'll see a, a flash of lightning and God will thunder from the clouds. You shall make cheeseburgers at McDonald's. You know what I mean, though, right? People think that if I got to find God's direction, surely it's going to come in some crazy, weird way. That God's going to speak from a cloud, or he's going to, I don't know, one morning I'm going to be woken up by an angel who's going to tell me what to do with my life. But I really don't think that's the case at all. I think maybe for some people that will happen. I think for the majority of us, that will not. Here's what I want to suggest to you this morning. The God-given direction for your life is not found somewhere high in the clouds, but instead is found somewhere deep within your heart. The God-given direction for your life is not found somewhere out in the atmosphere by searching and begging God to reveal something, but instead the direction for your life is found right inside of you, and it's been here the whole time. There's this awesome psalm, um, 139. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but I'm going to read just a, a couple little verses. And it says in Psalm uh, 139, 13 through 16, this. For you created my inmost being. This is David talking to God. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. 
This says that God, he put us together inside of our mother's womb. He built our physical frame. He built our our spirit. He built our, our mind. He built our soul. He built our personality. He knitted it together as we were formed inside of our mother's womb. And it says that before we were even born, before we were even born, God already knew every day that we would ever see on this earth. He could see all of it. I believe that God, when he knitted you together in your mother's womb, gave you the critical components so that you can succeed at following his vision for your life. I think they're already here. I think he put you together, your, your personality, your spirit, the way, you, the, the way you think of things, that all of it is divinely put together for what your purpose on this earth is. So you may ask, well, does that mean that I'm perfect just the way I am? No. No, you're not perfect just the way you are. None of us are. None of us are. Even though God puts you get together divinely, trust me, we're not perfect just the way we are. But what I mean is this. Is you might need to get education to follow that vision. You might need to change something about yourself a little bit. Maybe you're kind of annoying. Just being real, right? Maybe you're going to have to change a few things. But what I mean is, is, is deep down inside of you, the base components of who you are were formed together so that you could follow the vision for your life. It doesn't mean you might have to change a few little things, but I think that you have all inside of you what you need to pursue, to follow, and to succeed in what God's vision is for your life. There's this awesome book. Um, it's called Kazon. It's written by Craig Groeschel. I recommend all you guys to read it. And um, it's actually spelled C-H-A-Z-O-W-N, kind of crazy, because it's a Hebrew word. What it means is, is vision. And actually, I'm saying it improperly. If you want to say it correctly, you have to hack up like a ball of phlegm when you say it. Like, <laughs> zone. It's kind of nasty. But what's interesting is he identifies that in our life, there are three basic areas that will show you what your direction is for your life. It's cool. He says that there's your core values. Those are the things that you really, really care about. Your spiritual giftings. And these are the things that makes you who you are, the things God gifted you with. And also your past experiences. And he says that when you take these three things and you interlock them and you overlap them in the very center of those three things, you'll find your kazon, your vision. That what you've seen, what you're passionate about, what you're talented at, what you really, really hold on to dear, when you lay them over top of each other, you'll soon see that there's a vision for your life in the middle of it that you can pick out. I read through this book, and it really helped me understand where God was taking me, and uh, our whole team did it, and it's a terrific book. I recommend all you guys reading it. It's worth buying for like $11 online. You can get it, and checking out and reading through it and thinking about it. When you, when you look at these areas, you begin to see the fact that you're, you're not like everyone else. You're not like everyone else. It's because God made you the way you are to be special, each and every one of us. No one can be like you, they can be a little like you, but they can't be exactly like you. And I really do believe the fact that God made each and every one of us different so that all of us can praise God differently. That's what's exciting. The thing that's really awesome about when we start to follow this, when we start to pursue what is God's vision for our life, is this, you'll do more than you expected. 
You'll do more than you expected. See, when we, when we plan our resolution, and I can think of cool ideas that I want to do, and I can plan all this out, we'll accomplish cool things. But what's awesome is when we let God into it, when we believe the fact that maybe God made us the way we are for a reason, he's, he's given us these, these experiences for a reason, he can take us places that we would have never, ever expected. Uh, in Romans, uh, right where we're at, Rom- Romans 8, but a little later, in 828, It says this, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It says that if if God's involved in our life, all things, all things that happen, God will somehow miraculously use for good to benefit us. It doesn't matter what it is. I've seen this in my own life. When I began to pursue God's vision for my life, he took me directions I wouldn't expect took me and, and, and had me become part of a ministry that kind of led me away for a while and, and, and made me spend a lot of different time traveling around uh, Illinois and stuff like that and actually took me all the way over to England to do training. But what was amazing is when I look back at it, it was all divinely put together. The connections that I made, the people that I met, the information that I learned to come to now, which I believe is me fulfilling my vision at this time in my life, which is planning and leading Acts Church. It's amazing how God will take you through when you actually allow him to be part of it. I want to share this with you too, and this isn't, it's nothing super spiritual, but it's not something that I can, I can back up with an exact verse in the Bible, but I really do believe it. I believe that God made each and every one of us slightly different from someone else, and I believe that each and every one of us has a mission here on earth. I think that God's not wasteful. When I, look through, when I look through his word, I never see God being wasteful. And what I mean is I think that each and every one of us have a specific plan for our life that no one else can accomplish. Maybe it's just one task. But I think that each and every one of us have at least just one thing that the only person who can accomplish it is you. And that's what God's taking you to if you let him be part of your life. No one else is going to accomplish it Someone else isn't going to pick up your slack. It's yours and yours alone. I really do believe that. The problem is is that I think still, though, there are some of you today who believe that all of that is is well and true. Maybe it's right. But I don't understand where you've been. I don't understand your past. I don't understand what you've gone through. And you figure the problem is, though, is, is you don't get what I've seen, what I've done not me. It's possible that there's been a lot of pain in your life. Maybe a lot to deal with. Maybe um, you made a lot of bad decisions. Your whole life has been bad decisions, perhaps. Maybe you think that it's too late. For someone else who's younger, perhaps, but my decisions are made, and I'm set where I am. Or maybe right now, this morning, You're sitting in the middle of your bad decisions. It's not that it was the past, but today, I'm right in the middle of bad decisions. I want to tell you that it's not true. You haven't seen too much, you haven't done too much, you haven't strayed too far for God to bring you in alignment with what his vision is for your life. There's this awesome story of a man named Joseph, and probably the closest thing that some people might recognize with Joseph is, of course, Joseph and his technicolor dream coat, right? 
Um, it's an interesting playoff of a real story. Joseph, when he was younger, he had this vision that he was going to basically be like a, someone put in a lot of charge, and he has a vision of his brothers bowing down before him, and he shares it with his brothers, and they become insanely jealous. This God-given vision for Joseph's life. And over the next few years of this guy's life, I mean, he has crazy. His brothers beat him up, throw him into a well, then they sell him into slavery. You have to think that would kind of mess up with your ideas on, on what God's vision is for your life, right? A second ago, I thought I was going to be in a position where everyone be bowing to me, and now I'm a slave. He gets sold into slavery, but it turns out he's a really, really good guy because he has, he has God's grace on him. And he becomes the number one guy at this, at this big like, house, basically, where he was working. The guy trusts him with everything. But to Joseph's failure, he's a good-looking guy. And the owner's wife has an eye for Joseph. And it's not too long before she comes in and she corners him and says, take me to bed. And he says, well, no, not a chance. It's, you know, I'm trusted with everything in this place. How could I possibly do that to my master? And she tries to grab at him and say, no, take me to bed. And he refuses. So what she does is she falsely accuses him of raping her. The man comes home, and he casts him into jail. Once again, how is this all going to work out? I thought you had a vision for my life, God. Now I'm, now I'm not just a slave. Now I'm stuck in prison because I was falsely accused. And Joseph spends a significant amount of time in prison. These other two guys end up getting put in prison, and he interprets their dreams, and one of them, he, he, he interprets the fact that he's going back to be with the king, and it's true. And when he goes back, he's supposed to remember Joseph, but he completely forgets. Joseph spent years in his prison, till finally, the king has a dream and can't interpret it, and this guy who was his cupbearer, who had the dream interpreted, says there was this dude in, in prison, and, and he could interpret dreams. He brings him out. And Joseph correctly interprets the king's dream. And because of it, he gets put second in command over all of his kingdom, over all of Egypt. Crazy. What happens is a, a huge famine comes, and Joseph prepared for it because he heard from God. And into this famine, his family literally comes begging for food, and they bow at his feet. The vision fulfilled of what he had seen years and years earlier. In between, there were many, many days, I'm sure, in which Joseph couldn't possibly see how this vision was going to come to pass, right? I mean, when you were sold into slavery, when you were falsely accused of rape and put in jail, when you were sitting there waiting, hoping, and nothing was coming. But years after that, that, that vision was perfectly fulfilled. And this is what he says. His brothers come, and he reveals the fact that he's actually their brother, and they're crushed. But he says this in Genesis 50, 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph says that all of those bad things that you tried to do to me, all of the bad things that happened in my life, every single one of them was God directed to lead me to this place right here. All of the things that the enemy meant to destroy me, God somehow miraculously flipped and he used to build me into a better man build me into a place where I could become this. I want to tell you today that God will not just work around your past circumstances, failures, troubles. God will work through your past troubles and failures. It's not that he can get around it, but God will miraculously use those things 
in order to fulfill the vision for your life. There is purpose inside of your pain. There's meaning inside of your misery, and there's direction inside of all of the devastation you've experienced in your life. All of the bad things that have come and happened in your life, I wholeheartedly believe that when we submit and we ask God to be part of our life, he can use those things to take us to a place that we would have never been before through all of that hurt, through all of that pain. And he can use it to accomplish great things. Your past doesn't have to negatively affect your future. You know, I think it's, um, it's actually kind of interesting considering where we're at in this year and, and what this whole series has been about because it's been about this idea of the resolution, right, and the real solution. And the resolution comes about because at the beginning of a year, people want to find a reset button. They'd love to find something where they can push and just start over because there's mistakes in the past, there's troubles in the past, I don't like who I was, I don't like who I am, I, I did stupid stuff, I, I, I made bad decisions, and people would love to find a reset button they could push to just start over. But it doesn't happen. No matter how many resolutions they make, no matter how much they try, no matter how much they redouble their efforts, it doesn't change. They find no reset button. But this morning, less than one month into 2011, I want to tell you that there is a reset button for your life. And it's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the, the one reset button on life. It doesn't matter where you are this morning. It doesn't matter if you're here for the other three messages. It doesn't matter if you're not going to be here after today. It doesn't matter if you've done a lot or if, like I said, you're sitting in the middle of your bad decisions today. Jesus is this reset button. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus today, you can begin one today. It doesn't have to be something you have to leave up to chance or think about later on or figure I'll come back to it. It could be taken care of today. It says in the Bible in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. It basically says the fact that all of us have made mistakes. All of us have had failures in our life. All of us have, have, have not lived up to everything we could be. But it says that God gave a free gift of his son Jesus to pay for all those mistakes if we just trust in him. In Romans 10.9, it says this, which is so simple. It says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It really is that simple. And you know, I want to go even a step further than that, because I love this verse, um, this, this comment I've heard a long time ago. Someone said, I don't, I don't understand so I can believe. He says, I believe so I can understand. Because it's really, really hard to understand all that, isn't it? It's a big deal. But what I mean is, is you don't have to have everything all figured out. You don't have to understand how all of it works. You don't have to understand all of that stuff. All you have to do is you have to take that first step of saying, Jesus, I want to believe and I want you to show me. I want you to show me and let me understand it. I've got to the point of saying this, and I, I think it really is true. If you're 51% sure, take a chance. If you're 51, if you're more than half, take a chance. We make decisions based on that all the time, don't we? Uh, both are a good idea, but I think this one. When you can hit 51%, you need to take a chance and go for it. I'd say the same thing this morning. 
Maybe you've already given your life to Jesus. You have a relationship with him. Um, but you're in that place of thinking that I've made a bunch of dumb mistakes. I don't like where I am at today. I don't like um, what I've decided to be. And what I want to tell you is that today you can start over as well, too. It's not too late for you to push this reset button and start over at the beginning of 2011. It says this in James 4, that if we resist the devil, he flees from us. But if we draw near to God, he draws near to us. And wherever you're at in your relationship with with God, it means that if you take one step closer to Jesus, he takes one step closer to you. If you walk towards him, he walks towards you. It's bi-directional. It's not just that you need to seek after him, but he says, if you just take a step of faith, he says, I'll come closer to you too. All you have to do is take that first step towards God and say, Jesus, today I need to start over. That's all it takes. There's this cool, um, this cool uh, thing I'd heard in the past, and it really is true, I found out, because I did some research into it. But over in Africa, okay, these bushmen who live out in their, their whole life is, is hunting in the bush, they catch monkeys in a really, really strange way. They take and go up to a... Uh, to like an anthill, like a termite hill, and they chip out a hole. And they take food and they put it inside of the hole. The monkey will come by, reach in, and grab the food, and can't pull its hand back out. They'll jump out from behind a bush, grab the monkey by the neck, take and shake its hand, and they'll pull it out. And they can catch a monkey that way. Now, sadly, they usually eat them, so I'm sorry to hurt your hurt your morning here. Um, But what's interesting about this is I think it's so applicable for our lives. Sometimes we just need to let go. That monkey wasn't even trapped. The only thing that that caught him was the fact that he wouldn't let go of what he had grabbed a hold of. I think that's the same thing in our lives. There are certain things that we just can't let go of and they keep us trapped. And what giving our lives to Jesus or inviting Jesus into our future really is, is letting go of some of that stuff. And I want to take it even a step further than that. It's not that you have to completely give up, because I think that's what people say is, you mean that if I want Jesus to be, you know, the director of my future, if I want God to take care of my future, I just need to just sit here and just say, what do you want me to do? No, there's still planning and, and, and thought you can have into your life. God doesn't work that way. He works like a father. Fathers often don't tell us what to do. They encourage us in what we're meant to do. Whatever we're interested in, our passions, that's how God works too. But what you have to do is you can't keep a grip like this on it. That's what traps that that monkey is that it, it has a death grip on those things in their life. And when asking Jesus to be a part of your life is simply going like this. You still might have those things in your life. It's not that you have to cut them out of your life, whatever it may be. But instead of keeping a death grip on it where you say, I won't let go of this, I won't let go of this, you open your hand and you say, God, if you need me to, I'll let go of this. I want you to direct my life. I want you to set me free from these things that keep holding me back. Whether you give your life to Jesus for the first time or whether you reset this morning, you can be assured that something will change. It says this in 2 Corinthians 5.17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. It doesn't say that we're washed. It doesn't say that we're shined up. It says that if we give our lives to Christ, we're a brand new person. Complete new start. A reset button. 
So whether this morning you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord or this morning you just really say, you know what, I need to reset. I need to start over. But if this morning you say, for my future, I I want God to be a part of it. I really do believe that he can help me, that he can direct me in places that I wouldn't go, that he can take me to places that I I wouldn't even see because God has those miraculously good plans for your life. And if you want to open your life up to those plans this morning, it's really just that simple. I want to pray. And what I want to do is, is, is um, I want us all to bow our heads. And I want to pray with you guys for a second. But what I want to do is this. If this morning you would say, I need to give my life to Jesus. I need him to come into my life and to help me change the circumstances. Just raise your hand. And if you say this morning, maybe it's not that I, like I need to accept Jesus for the first time, but maybe what you're saying is, this morning, Jesus, I need to press the reset button and start over. Just raise your hand. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in people's hearts this morning. And God, you've seen the raised hands. I pray to you, Lord, that you would come into these these people's hearts this morning. And I pray to you, Jesus Christ, that you would change the circumstances. Lord, whatever it is, Lord, whatever they're holding on to, God, I pray to you that you would change them. I pray to you you would make it easy for them to let go, God, and say that we want your direction for our lives. Jesus, I pray to you that you would help these people see that, that the vision for their life isn't some nebulous idea, but it's right inside of them, that you've made them to be who they are for a reason. And that is they open their lives just like this and say, God, I want you to be part of my life. That you're willing to take them and lead them to places that are great and far beyond what they could possibly imagine. Jesus, I thank you for this morning. And I pray to you, you would bless each and every person who's here. Pray to you, God, that you would um, lead them out and keep them safe this week. Bring them back next week so they can hear more about you, Jesus Christ. I pray to you, Lord, that you would remind us that you truly are um, the direction for our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Your name I pray.